January 28th is the data protection day and we started our journey to listen to industry experts who have been in the Fit for Privacy podcast. And in that special episode, we reviewed, we refined, we reflected on thoughts from different industry experts from episode 1 to 11. And in this episode, we start from 12 to 22. So let's get started. This is the Fit for Privacy podcast and I'm your host Punit Bhatia. The thoughts, opinions and ideas in this podcast are not legal advice. These are opinions and thoughts. And if you need legal advice, please consult a professional with your specific situation. So let's get started with the special episode and hear about episode 12 in which we had Eva Tasheva who's a expert in security and privacy matters. How do you differentiate or how do you see privacy and security intersection? Because Mm -hmm. uh, some people say privacy is important, some say Mm -hmm. security is important and most say that both are important and both go hand in hand. But how do you see it? This is a great point, uh, Puneet, actually. Uh, To me, I see them as uh, often we say the same two sides of the same coin. Right. Um, so you want to have privacy if you don't have security. Yes. Um, uh, obviously, security stands for protecting the information as well, mm-hmm. the confidentiality of information, right. which is also at the heart of privacy. In that sense, you you need both uh, if yeah. you want to achieve any. That's a very good quote. There's no privacy without security. In episode 13, we had Richard Marigold who's the CEO and DPO at iStorm Solutions. And we asked him, what is EU representative role all about? So it's something that we've, that we've talked about um, a lot in the past. And as you say, it's, it's part of the, the regulation that, that exists, but people never really took any interest in, in until Brexit came along. So yeah. an EU representative is essentially what it what it says on the tin it's a representative of the data controller that is based within the eu mm-hmm. so this was this was around before the gdpr um it was around back in the um in the original directive and then obviously it's been included in and essentially what it means is that if an organization is operating outside of the eu mm-hmm. but is processing personal data of individuals that are within the EU, mm-hmm. then they should either have an office or an establishment there mm-hmm. so within 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 Europe, or they should have a representative, so an individual or an organisation that resides within the European Union that can essentially be the representative of the organisation. So in the same way that companies have sales reps, and they may send their um, EMEA sell mm-hmm. rep out to do their sales, that same company should have a representative for their the GDPR compliance of their of their organization. In episode 14, we had Joanna Vandermeer, Privacy and Protection Lead at the Center for Innovation, Leiden University, sharing with us what are some of the challenges of a DPO role and how you can manage it. 
every question I had, every question I asked the expert, they said, oh, that's in the gray area of the law. <laughs> that works in the gray area of the law. And I thought to myself, well, then our entire organization, most a lot of the work right. is in the gray areas of the law. So yep. that's for me, the data protection officer, a lot of that is quite, there's a law. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of people working on it. Right. Um, so you can get a lot of advice yep. and there's a kind of a guidebook. There's a law with guidance on how to do it, having a Article 30 register. Have, yeah. Whereas when you start in the gray areas, that's when you start having to think for yourself right. and try and understand the essence of the law. What was what exactly. were they trying to get at? How would that apply to a technology that they haven't explicitly spoken about? So the, the data protection officer part, for me, I find is the easiest one Ooh. because there are so many people working on it. Right. When you get to the gray area, that's yeah. the one I find really difficult because you have to really research it, really mm-hmm. document your findings, really speak to people about the essence of the law, which is when you start getting into ethics mm-hmm. and those yeah. those areas for me, I find really difficult. I find that the more difficult part yeah. of my job. That's certainly more challenging. I mean, the law is the law, yeah. but then interpreting it and applying it to the real life situations, people generally don't make the distinction. Yeah. They look at it all that together for the DPO. Yeah. But if you make that segregation, some things are straightforward, a very few that, okay, yeah. you should have a data inventory, you should do yeah. a DPIA and so on. But what to do after that when the risks are there? Yeah. Is it going to impact the rights and freedoms of people or not? Yeah. And that's always a decision. You may have one decision, I may have something else, yeah. and the other person may have something else. So it's people-specific rather than law-specific. Yeah, and it's also the evolution of the context. Right, it's also because the context might change, and a decision that was made yesterday when you interpreted the law right. in this context yesterday, today all of a sudden you're in a different context, right. and the mechanism you set up yesterday yes isn't adequate for today, and that I find that's also my favorite part. <laughs> I like complex, challenging problems, and I, that's the part that really drives me. Then in episode fifteen we had Marcio Cotts principal privacy consultant in Get Global International and we asked him the privacy landscape is changing and changing very fast like you spoke about the laws in India, US, I think Thailand, Brazil, Pakistan, everybody is passing a new law. It seems to be a fashion in privacy these days. A new law is coming every few days or weeks. So how do companies cope up with this changing landscape on privacy, especially the multinationals? Yeah, well, um, definitely they need to to hire specialists uh, that leave uh, uh, data privacy every day because you need to keep updated on these regulations. And uh, so definitely it's something that uh, nowadays most companies understand that they really need uh, a consulting company or either a law firm or an, a, a specialist that is going to help them to comply with those laws. I think this is the only way you can comply with this kind of law. So get good professionals. Yeah. That's good for both of us. In episode 16, we had Barry Mold, who's an ICO award winner and data protection consultant. And we asked him why data protection compliance or GDPR compliance remains an ongoing challenge. The implementation of GDPR, uh, of course, it's still ongoing for most organizations and because 
I mean, if you even if you get compliant one day, organization changes, and then you need to make new changes. But what has been the biggest challenge that remains in your observation of working with organizations? Because you work with multitude of organizations. Yes, I do. I, I think for me, the the big, the biggest thing is how engaged are the senior people in the in organizations. Now, I attended a uh, conference in February just before lockdown, and there was a gentleman speaking there. He he was a clinician, he was a doctor, but he also is very, very good on IT. And he spoke about digital maturity. Mm-hmm. We have lots of IT systems. You go to any hospital, and they can have up to 150, 180 different IT systems. Some talk together, some don't. So we talked about the digital maturity being up here. Yeah. But he said then the security maturity is right, is low. Right. And the gap between the two is where the risk is for my privacy and for my data and for data protection. And he said that we need to close that gap. And it's that gap. So the investment in uh, security maturity needs to match the digital matu- maturity. And I think some organizations have got it, mm-hmm. but I think majority don't have it. And I think we are seeing data breaches because the investment isn't there. Maybe maybe they say it hasn't happened to me before. Yep. Or maybe say the risk isn't great. But I think the when we think about the fines of what potentially could happen, British Airways and Marriott Hotels, the intended fines, they haven't been fined yet. But, you know, maybe if they'd have put more into their IT security, doesn't mean to say it still couldn't happen. Yeah. But there are are big gaps. And I think there needs to be that closing of the gap between digital and, and security maturity. In episode 17, we had Cal Ringel, the CEO of Mine, and we talked about why do people care about privacy or if people care about privacy? People do care about privacy, definitely, yes, specifically in the last two years. And I give you a few reasons. The first one, uh, as you can as you can hear, uh, and this is why we're speaking right now, privacy has become mainstream in, in the daily discussion. Everywhere you go, in any different uh, generations, everyone is talking about privacy. Uh, and the reason is that more and more people feel uh, the, the privacy or the data um, or the data problem uh, on their own flesh and bones. And, and many people think that this is the time to balance the playing field. And just to give you a few examples, uh, did you see the Netflix movie, The Great Hack, about uh, Cambridge and, and uh, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook? No, I didn't see the Netflix movie, but I have a kind of uh, read through many articles on this topic, but uh, go on, go on. So if you're going to share some conclusions or your perspective, please go on. So just to say that Netflix uh, has made a movie about everything that uh, happened behind the scene around Cambridge Analytica and Facebook uh, that was being uh, viewed by millions of people. And actually the bottom line of the movie was data ownership was the fact that, and it was before the time of the GDPR. Uh, and, and the bottom line of the movie was how we as consumers, we, ha- we have no ownership about our data and how companies can actually do whatever they want with the data. And actually that movie 
uh, raised the, the awareness of data privacy to even more millions uh, of people. And another example is the amazing speech of Sasha Baron Cohen, talking about social networks and uh, everything that is happening there. Um, but let me explain you what is the problem with privacy. Uh, how do you feel when you have to click I agree? <laughs> well, I, I, I will give you two perspectives. Before I was, uh, I came into privacy and now. Before I came in, I did it just because it was mandatory. But nowadays I do pay attention and I'm sometimes even thinking, okay, with this company, how much of leverage I have? And if not, I just go and read their privacy statement or sometimes terms and conditions to see what would they do with my data. So there's a difference. So I, I don't think I can compare to general people, but still the previous me would compare to other people because it's a nuisance which you have to go through because if you don't click, you don't move forward. Exactly. So people uh, have accepted the situation that they don't have any choice, right? Right. right. And, and, and even if they did want to take action, how, how would they do it? Right? It's, it's very hard to read privacy policy or it's very complex for the average person to understand uh, regulations. Uh, and and uh, this is why we uh, started mine. And, and let me give you another numbers from our product to prove that people do care. So in less than five months since our official launch in Europe, uh, we already uh, saw over uh, 60,000 users uh, mm -hmm. within our product that already sent more than 700,000 deletion requests to companies. In episode 18, we had Professor George Ataya talking about different perspectives of looking at privacy and how it can be complied with. But you always talk about looking at privacy from a holistic perspective yeah. and you have that layered mechanism. So could you describe us? What are the different perspectives with which you need to look at privacy or privacy compliance? Yes. Yeah. Well, if we look at the enterprise architecture, which is business processes, right. different processes, data that are essential for those business processes, services that are essential to deliver data that to, de to, to make uh, those business processes function. For example, I am human resources uh, department. I have various human resources business processes. I deal with a lot of data, uh, uh, salary data, payroll data, uh, personal data, training data, uh, evaluation data, etc. I have a lot of services, external or internal, that are available online through the cloud or right. uh, built into on our server. And we have uh, applications, we have uh, infrastructure, hardware, we have replication of data. On every level of that architecture, mm -hmm. we have to be aware what is to be done. Right. What is to be strictly done, what is to be loosely done, what is to be uh, tent, uh, uh, should be done in, in the future. And all those are issues that are quite important. Absolutely. And then when we talk to organization, there are two perspectives. Some of them look at it as a law saying we have to comply with the law. And some of them look at it as a management issue, so we need to manage the risk. And then there are others who look at it as competitive differentiation. Yeah. So where do you see the organizations are moving yeah. and what is the advice for somebody who's starting in their organization? Yeah. Well, we notice on the market that organization that consider that as a competitive edge 
are obviously going for. We see those financial services organizations, those uh, uh, organizations that, that are uh, dealing with personal data on a large scale. Uh, it's for them uh, life or death. They cannot continue working otherwise, which means that they, they have to implement uh, adequate compliance. For those others that are probably less concerned, involved, uh, or impacted most of the time, we see that they are delaying. However, in some sectors of activity, I'm not going to mention the health sector or, or other uh, sectors that are public services, we consider that although uh, uh, privacy is essential, uh, they may not have the budgets, the means, uh, the, 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 the uh, spare the effort to implement privacy, which means that we have to evaluate how much are we uh, uh, serious about it, and if we are not serious about it, what compensating controls could we put in place uh, in order for us to limit any risk of, uh, of uh, breach or any risk of uh, uh, major damage in case of breach. In episode 19, we had Ram Kumar Ramanathan, privacy consultant from India, talking about how privacy will become a way of life in future. The peer people is going to do a lot of goodness for individuals who get calls, you know, a dozen, okay, you know, so many things. You know, I, you don't even know where all your, your data is available to how many, how many people. You get suddenly cold calls the entire day for so many things. Definitely it has to stop. Data privacy bill is going to bring in a lot of discipline amongst us. I'm sure they are not stopping the marketing activity. They are trying to streamline them. That is my perspective. Definitely it will be a hassle for the marketing folks to start with. But the genuine ones who offer good services, is going to help the customer will sustain over a period of time, no doubt about it. Only the people who want to somehow force your thought into the individual will fail. That's for sure. And this is a good thing happening for individuals. Yes, it is a it's a hassle to start for marketing, but that will die down over a period of time and it'll become a way of life. In episode 20, the founder and CTO of ByteSafe talked about how we need to protect privacy. Just like Earlier, oil was traded or stocks and other things, and people have to treat and protect it and by taking responsible steps. And to that, I would like to add that accountability and transparency is the key. And respect for laws and regulations is primary focus and importance. At the end, is comes enforcement. But more so for me, I believe accountability and transparency with the golden data protect responsibly model. In episode 21, we had Corinne Herzog, legal counsel, who talked about how data privacy has changed over the last 30 years. And in your 30 years of journey, what is the biggest change you've seen in privacy or privacy laws? Well, privacy laws have been in, in, in place for, for a, a long time. Um, I think that the, what I've seen evolved is that it seems like that has not been enough and that GDPR has given an extra level to data privacy, which is this mm -hmm. is something that needs to be taken more seriously right. than it has in the past, which is probably why the fines mm -hmm. that are uh, now uh, at risk mm -hmm. of companies paying have kind of woken everybody up. And I think that what has changed is that it's something that is 
important and it's something that companies need to take into consideration and that there's going to be more scrutiny mm -hmm. on how uh, companies are going to do that. And I also think that the data subjects are also with GDPR more aware of what their rights are and mm -hmm. what it is that uh, they are to acknowledge or not acknowledge. A lot of mm -hmm. the changes that I have seen since the implementation of GDPR is getting emails from data subjects <laughs> about their rights and, and their own interpretation of GDPR, which right. is quite interesting. But it, it not only has it given it uh, a highlight from a, a, a business perspective where companies have now taken this seriously and have decided to spend some time on it, but you also see that the individuals have now realized that they do have their rights right. that they can exercise. Yeah, but what exactly changed? Because these rights were there since the directive and even before some of these rights. There are new rights in the GDPR, but like the right to access, right to information, these tools were still available. So what triggered this shift, this change? I think what's triggered the change is that it's, it's, it's a lot of noise been made around GDPR to begin with. I think there's been a lot of activity around GDPR, a mm -hmm. lot of talk around GDPR. Right. Probably GDPR, if we think back uh, a few months before it, it, it was truly implemented, I remember hearing it on the news that there was this new regulation right. and that companies were asking themselves. And it, it goes further than just your big Fortune 500 company right. or even your small business. It's even your yoga class yeah, where people are in a yoga class and where you're now getting an email from right. uh, somebody, from, from whoever is organizing the class saying, I'm now with GDPR. And, and so <laughs> what I found has happened is that not only are companies having to do this, but it's gone down to all levels, right. even smaller levels yeah. that you would not think in the past would have had any interest in GDPR. No. Uh, and there has been a lot of noise around GDPR, a lot of communication around GDPR, and I think that's changed. And in episode 22, I talked about how Brexit has created a new version of GDPR that is UK GDPR. And for those of you who do not know me, I'm a privacy expert. I make data protection matters simple and understandable. And I help organizations comply with privacy laws and keep customer trust. And I can do this by writing books like the Be Ready for GDPR. I host podcast, this podcast Fit for Privacy podcast. And I work with business and privacy leaders to develop and implement privacy strategies and provide training. I can do this because I have had the good fortune of setting up GDPR compliance programs in Fortune 500 companies. Now, you probably have heard and known that UK Data Protection Act 2018 was based on EU GDPR. Now, UK has created a version of EU GDPR that is called UK GDPR, yes. For those of you getting to terms with one GDPR, now you have two to manage. Therefore, it is relevant for us to be clear on the fact that GDPR or more specifically EU GDPR will be the data protection law in the EU. This will continue to protect processing of EU residents data and it applies to your company if your company is processing personal data of EU residents. 
this is where it has not changed and this is irrespective of where your company is located so nothing changes in context of data protection for those in the eu or those processing personal data of those in eu now the uk gdpr will be the data protection law in the uk this will be protecting those in uk and shall apply to companies processing personal data of those in the uk now technically we can say this will be the case irrespective of where your company is located but it remains to be seen how much of power shall UK's information commissioner shall have and how far is it willing to exert its influence. No idea on how it will be, only time will tell. So this was the special episode on occasion of Data Protection Day January 28th in which we reflected on different messages from different industry experts on privacy matters. So thank you so much for listening to this and being with us. And if you can share this, comment on this, like it and also share it with others. It helps us to get to more people. And if you have not subscribed yet to this podcast, please do so because from next week onwards, we are starting the new series with new guests. So thank you so much. Have a great day.